Esther chapter 8. As we've been working our way through the book of Esther, we've come to the beyond the climax, I guess you could say, as last week was kind of the climax of the chapter. But uh, wicked Haman had plotted to exterminate the Jews, and God worked it all out that uh, he was um, found out. And the, this law that he had enacted, though, uh, was still in power, and though Haman was dead, the, the law was still alive. And this had to be dealt with. And this brings us to chapter 8 here, where we see that Esther <clears throat> intervenes again and begs the king to do something about this law that was going to exterminate the Jews. And so as we see this here, we find here God working in a marvelous way, and there's a joyful turnabout of events. And that is an exciting thing, good thing for us to remember. God not only answered their prayer uh, for Esther and the Jews and also worked all things together for good for them, and God can do the same for us. You know, as you face troubles and trials and struggles and hardships in life, sometimes they're not very pleasant. But God can work all things together for good. Sometimes we don't see the good side of it, but we need to remember God doesn't make any mistakes. God is always doing what is right. And, you know, one thought that came to my mind as I was pondering some of these things this morning is, is we, right now we're studying through the book of Numbers on Wednesday nights. And in the book of Numbers, again and again and again, the people doubt God, they question God, they blame God, they criticize God, they don't like the things God's doing for them, they think God's deserted them and forsaken them and not doing, treating them right. And yet God had done so much for them. And it's important for us to remember when we're going through a difficult hardship, we need to remember the good times, the times when God has been good to us, the times when God has met our needs, the times when God has answered prayer, the times when God has blessed. Those are the things that can remind us and encourage us that all things are going to work together for good. God can work it out. And it's a good thing for us to remember that. And as we see this this morning, I want us to notice here several different things that God did, evidences here of God working things together for good for these folks and how that he'll do the same for us. Number one, the first evidence that God is working things together for good is that the king gave Esther Haman's house. Look at verse number one. On On that day, now what day is that day? It's talking about the day that Haman was hanged. They just had this meal, and uh, the king uh, asked Esther, Esther, what was your request? And Esther said, my request is that you would uh, protect my life and the life of my people. And he says, who would do that? And he said, this wicked Haman. And and Haman was hanged. And uh, on that day, so on that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman the Jew, the enemy, uh, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai be, uh, came before the king, for Esther had told him who, uh, who he, what he was to her. All right, so we see here, first of all, that Ast- uh, king, the king gave Esther Haman's house. Now, as you think about this, first of all, it took place on that banquet day. 
Alright, so he wasn't wasting any time. Right as soon as Haman was executed, one of the common practices of that day was if the king executed somebody, every, everything that belonged to him belonged to the one that executed him. So the king got everything that he, that it was belonged to Haman. And so then he turns around and he gives all this to Esther. So he gave Esther his house. Now when it talks about his house, the house, the word literally refers to a dwelling, uh, a house, it could even refer to a palace. It doesn't really specify the quality of the house. But it also, in a more broad sense, refers to a household or everything that is in that house, everything that belongs to them. And this seems to be the situation that took place here. Joseph Benson, a commentator, he makes this statement. He says that the, the whole estate belonging to the, his family, his lands, his goods, his servants, his cattle, and all the money that he had treasured up was part of this house. And all this comes to Esther now. So you can just imagine, Haman here was a very prosperous prince. I mean, he was the chief of all the princes. He was at the top of the ladder. And so he probably had a pretty fancy place. Now, that, all that fancy place that he had and all the wealth that he had, no longer his, he's gone. It all belongs now to Esther. God gave it all to Esther. What a, what a picture of God just caring for things here. And uh, Esther gets it all, and it, it becomes hers. Now, we see a second evidence here of God working all things together for good. And that is that the king gave Mordecai a promotion. We read down in verse... Well, I just read the last part of verse 1. Let's read it again. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told him what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. All right, now, this was a significant thing. It wasn't just a matter of taking off his ring and say, hey, you know, here, try him a ring. See how you like that. No, it was far more significant than that. Um, he had taken this ring from Haman because, remember, Haman got that ring from him. Why? So that he could use it to, to enact this law against the Jews. Now, the king's ring was very significant, as we will see. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me just back up a second here and just explain a little bit of what's taking place. Esther, first of all, introduces Mordecai to the king. By this time, the king knew that Esther was a Jew. He didn't know that before. And he had already known that Mordecai was a Jew. And remember, with Mordecai, the king was introduced to him in a personal way just a couple of days earlier when he couldn't sleep. He's laying there sleepless all night. And then they bring out the chronicles and they read this story about how Mordecai had under, uh, had identified a plot against the king, and then he had told Esther, and Esther told the king, and the king investigated, and sure enough, these two guys were out to get him, and so they executed those guys, saved the king's life. All that was written down in the book. So the king had just promoted or, or, or honored Mordecai. And we saw that big comical story of how Haman was the one that was leading his horse around the city with Mordecai all dressed up in the king's clothes and wearing the king's crown and all his honor. So the king knew about Mordecai, but he didn't know that Esther was related. Now Esther says, 
King, my husband, I want to just tell you about Mordecai. He's my cousin, my older cousin. And my parents died when I was little. And he took me in and raised me as his daughter. And he is like my daddy. I love him. And the king, delighted that Queen Esther was safe and this harm was gone, and delighted to remember that Mordecai had saved his life as well. And so the king takes off his ring and gives it to Mordecai. This was the same ring that he had given to Haman. Now, this act of giving this ring was very, very significant. Uh, Gill, in his commentator, makes this statement. He says that, uh, that this gift with the Persians was a token of the strongest affection and strictest friendship. He said uh, this, this ring was the king's signet with which he signed laws and letters. And when pressed in wax or clay, it became the king's signature. So when they would sign a letter, they'd drip some wax on that thing to seal it shut and then press the king's ring in it. And if it had the king's signet on there, you better not touch that thing unless it belongs to you. Because that was the king's signature. And so this now belonged to Mordecai. He had that power to sign laws into effect. He had the power to, to do these things because the king had made him, ultimately he, he promoted him to the same spot Haman had been at as second in the kingdom. He is now a powerful, powerful man next to the king in his power. And so Mordecai was blessed with this and as the king promotes him to this new position of height. And, uh, you know, you think about Haman and Mordecai. Quite a contrast. Mordecai, uh, Haman, on the first hand, was wicked. He was self-serving. He was proud. He was feared and disliked by everybody. But Mordecai, we're going to find here that he was the opposite. He was a man who was righteous, God-fearing, loyal, humble, and beloved by everybody. Everybody loved Mordecai. And so this was a great accomplishment here and a great asset to the king to now promote Mordecai, a good man, an honest and upright man, to this high position of second in the kingdom. And Esther then set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Esther said, Uncle Mordecai, you can have it all. You take this, this house that belongs to me and all of the property of, Mordecai, of Haman, and you take care of it now. It's all yours to take care of. She, you, I want you to be over this. You know, just think of it. Just days earlier, we don't know anything about Mordecai, but he was a Jew. He was a slave originally. He probably didn't have a lot. He does seem to be a man of some note in the sense that he sat in the king's gate every day, possibly in a position of leadership. Some speculate that he may have been a judge in the king's gate, as that was where a lot of the decisions of, the, of conflicts would be settled. So he may have been a place in a place of position like that. But now he's promoted now to a high position, he's got a very elaborate palace now of Haman's and all that goes with it. He's in charge of all of that. And he is, he's got a totally different situation than he had just a few days earlier. God had abundantly blessed 
and abundantly met their needs. Not only had God taken away the problem of Haman, but now God prospered Mordecai with all this blessing. But a third evidence of God working together to make all things work together for good is that the king gave the Jews protection that they needed. And this is the bulk of the chapter, verse number 3 down through verse number 14. And verse number 3 says, And Esther spake again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief that Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out his golden scepter toward Esther, and Esther arose and stood before the king. All right, now, notice what's taking place. They live in a different culture. You've got to put yourself in their culture. Esther, though she's the queen, you'd think that she would have the right to come and go as she pleases in the king's palace, but she didn't. She was subjected to the king, and so she had to seek his permission to come into his presence. Once again, she says, I've got to deal with this. We've got part of the problem solved. Haman's dead, but it didn't take care of the law that's going to kill all of us. We've still got to take care of that. And so she bravely came before the king, fell on her face. Notice this here uh, in verse 3. She fell down at his feet, besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman. So she falls at his feet. She's crying and asking the king, King, would you please help us to put away the mischief of Haman? Haman's dead, yes, but that didn't take care of the law. We need help to deal with this. And the king held out his golden scepter. Now, what if he hadn't? Well, the law said that she'd be put to death. But he held out his golden scepter, and she stood up, and then she was able to stand before him and present her case. Verse number 5, and she said, if it please the king. Now, notice again, she's always very polite when she speaks to the king. If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the... Uh, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's province. And how can I endure, for how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So she pleads with the king. Oh, king, please. Would you have it written so that we can reverse this law that Haman has devised? And the time is running out. Months have ticked by. And it's the last month of the year, the 13th day of the month, that the law was to be enacted. And anybody in the kingdom, if you knew a Jew, you could kill that Jew. And in fact, you were by law commanded to kill all the Jews. Wipe out the Jews. If you know a Jew, you're to wipe them out. And you can imagine, there were probably a number of people in the kingdom that didn't really like the Jews anyway. And they're thinking, all right, this is going to be great. We got, not only can we get rid of the people we don't like, but we're pleasing the king to do it. We're doing exactly what the king wants. So they're all excited. You know, the weak, wicked people are excited about getting rid of the Jews. The Jews are in panic, of course. And so all of this, is, the queen pours out her heart to the king, 
begs for help in this situation. Now, notice how the king responds in verse 7. Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen, and to Mordecai the Jew. Now, take a note of that. When I read that, I thought, hmm, got to grab on that. All right, he spoke to Esther the queen and to Mordecai. Where did Mordecai come into this? He wasn't even there, or was he? See, remember now, he's wearing the king's ring. Now, he is the prime minister of the kingdom. Now, he's the chief, chief of all the princes. So he's there, and apparently he's kind of off in the background, and, they, and Esther's pleading with the king, and he says, have Mordecai come in too. You know, so Mordecai's right there. He's got ready access now because he's got, in a sense, maybe even more access to the king than Esther did uh, because he's a, in, in a diplomatic position, and he's a male, and he was uh, working for the king now. But so Esther's... Uh, there and the king calls in Mordecai the Jew in verse seven. Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him that uh, have they hanged uh, upon the gallows because he had laid his hands upon the Jews. Verse eight. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring, and with uh, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. And there, uh, then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, uh, that, that is the month, uh, Sivan, on the three, uh, three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all the, that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and the rulers of the provinces which are in, uh, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and to, unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writings and according to their languages. And he wrote in the King Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders and mule, on mules and camels and young dromedaries. All right, so as you stop and think about this, all right, so the king says, go ahead and write your letter. So immediately, Mordecai sits down with the Queen Esther, and they draft out a letter. And they draft out this letter to be able to protect themselves. And the king says, go ahead and sign it with my ring, seal it with my ring, and send it off, and do what you can to stop this problem. Now, he mentions here the dates involved. He says this is the, uh, the third month. All right, so it was going to be the 12th month. That's quite a while off, but remember, news didn't travel by Internet. <laughs> news traveled by donkey and camel and, and, and dromedaries as they would carry this message around the country. And they had a long way to go. It, you cover, as I mentioned earlier, it covers all the provinces from, let me make sure I'm getting it right from your perspective, over to, from India all the way over to Ethiopia. I had a broad section, and in that section, including all of Israel and Egypt and all of this area, was all included in this. So there was a long travel place that they had to travel to to get this news out to all these people. So it had to be done right away so he doesn't waste any time here and gets that message out as quickly as possible to be able to get it spreading throughout all that area. And so we see here that uh, the... That they, they get this message out quickly. Now, notice here what was in the document. And I've called it the 
the Mordecai's Jewish protection order. All right, call it what you want. But uh, this is Mordecai's Jewish protection order to protect the Jews. We see in verse number 11, he tells us what's in it. Wherein, uh, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, number one, to gather themselves together. All right, they, weren't, they didn't have to stand by themselves. They could gather together in groups of Jews to get more help. Number two, to stand for their lives. Number three, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and provinces that would assault them. I'd have underlined that phrase. That's an important one. That would assault them. Both little ones and women uh, and to take the spoil of them for prey. Now, what's taking place? He says, first of all, I want you to gather together. Don't stand by yourself. You won't be able to defend yourself. Gather together. So all the Jews maybe in this little town would gather together, get all their weapons together. They're going to defend themselves. And then he says, stand for your lives. If they come after you, you defend yourself. Stand for your lives. And then he says, also, you have permission to destroy and to slay and to cause to perish all of those that would assault you. So anybody that's going to attack you, you got, you got the perfect right of the king to kill them. Maybe in my crazy imagination, but I think there's probably truth to it. You can just picture in your mind some of these evil plotters thinking, I'm going to get rid of the Jews. I know some Jews down the street. I can't stand them. We'll get rid of them on that day. This will be great. And they probably made a big joke about this kind of stuff. Hey, Jews, enjoy life for a few more days. Not long left. We're going to get you. Your day's coming. And they probably made fun of them. They had a good time and, and they're jolly about all these things. And now things have turned around. And God says now the Jews can defend themselves and anyone who seeks to harm them or assault them, they were to kill. Now, this law does not give the Jews the same right that, the, that Haman's law gave to the others. Haman's law was, if you know a Jew, kill him. This wasn't, if you know a Gentile, kill him. That's not what the law said. The law says, the new law said, if anybody tries to assault you, you've got the right to kill him. Alright? So, this is the situation. Totally different, much more just than Haman's was, but it was a powerful protection order. And we can see here that it was a, a very helpful thing in meeting this. And now the order was to take place on the 13th day of the last month. That's the day that Haman's law would come into effect. When they could stand up now and defend themselves and protect themselves from all these who hated them. So, he sends all these all, all these riders out on mules and camels and young dromedaries. Dromedaries are a type of a camel. Uh, so they're sending them all out on all these animals that are run, fast runners to be able to take them all over the kingdom and spread the news. The king's got a new law that overrules the other law. And so everybody that hears this is probably pretty astonished by this new change of events here that's taking place. You can imagine that. So we see, once again, God is working things together for good to them that love him. But then one last thing I want us to notice here is that God gave the Jews gladness and honor. Verses 15 to 17. 
Verse number 15 says, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, of blue and white, with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Mordecai the Jew, poor slave, working hard to try to keep food on the table. Now he's rich. He's got the whole house of Haman. He's dressed in all these nice clothes. Who put those clothes on him? Was it the queen? Was it the king? Maybe both. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But now he's dressed in royal garments. He's wearing blue and white, fine royal clothing. And the the other garment there that was the uh, purple linen was an outer jacket. He had a purple outer jacket of linen. Very expensive clothing now. He's decked out, and he's got a great crown of gold. It wasn't just a crown of gold. It was a great crown of gold. Now, that great doesn't necessarily mean it was so big he couldn't kind of keep his head straight, but it was very valuable. It was a precious thing, full of probably gold and gems. And new, I mean, it was a valuable crown that he wore on his head, not something that just anybody would wear. So Mordecai is greatly honored by the king. And this is a, a, a great blessing here. And having um, Mordecai as his chief prince brought great joy and gladness to the residents of Shushan. That's a, a blessing we see here in the end of verse 15. And, all, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The whole city rejoiced. Now why was that? I think it was because they all knew what Haman was like and he was a tyrant to live under. You don't, you don't cross him or he'll have you executed. He was a no good, uh, harsh person. And they all must have known Mordecai as well. Anytime they had it, that's why I think he very likely may have been a judge. He was one who the people knew. And they think, Mordecai, yeah, that guy's a great guy. He's honest, he's just, he's fair, he's pleasant. He's a great guy. And they all rejoiced that now Mordecai's wearing the fine clothing and the crown and wearing the king's ring. He's the one that's in charge now. Things are going to be better now. That'll be great. They were rejoicing, enjoying over that. And years earlier, Solomon wrote these words in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 2. He says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. That is so true. That's true even of our nations today. You know, if we have good leadership that is conservative, it would be awesome if they were godly as well. But even being conservative is a joy. But when you have leadership that is not conservative and pulling things down and tearing down Christian values and endangering Christian values, that's a concern. And it takes away our joy. But back in those days, they were rejoicing because they had a ruler now that was wholesome and upright and God-fearing. Now, as you think about this in our own lives, we need to, when you take a passage like this, you're reading through the scripture and you're pondering these things, ask yourself, well, why did God put this in here? Why is this important to me? And you know, the truth is that each of us are leaders in some way or another. Some more than others. 
Each of you husbands are a leader of your home. Each of you parents are a leader of your children. If you're an employer, you've got people working under you. As your pastor, I've got responsibilities. As politicians, politicians are leaders over others. You know, there's all kinds of leadership situations in our life. We ask ourselves, what kind of leader are we? Haman was a feared leader. He was a leader that was selfish. A leader that you didn't dare cross or you were in trouble. And Mordecai was a good leader. One that they loved. One that they rejoiced. And we need to ask ourselves, where do we stand in this? You know, do you treat your spouse right? Even when your spouse mistreats you? Do you treat your children justly when they repeatedly do wrong? (laughs) It's not easy sometimes. Are you harsh with those that are working for you? Or do you treat them like you would want to be treated if things were turned around? You know, it's important for us to ask these very vital questions because it will help us in our leaderships, whether we're leading someone important or whether we're just leading someone that's just slightly under us. We need to be good leaders. We need to be the kind of leaders that would please God. We all enjoy being treated properly. God wants us to treat others properly. But Mordecai's Jewish protection order gave great joy to Jews, not only in Shushan, but all the areas where the news came. Verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews for fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now that's a statement. Think about that. Many of the people of the lands became Jews. Now how does one become a Jew? Well, becoming a Jew was to become a proselyte. They were to say, I now believe in your God. I am going to submit to his rules. It may have been carried to the extent of uh, the signature of the Jews was the circumcision. It may have been carried to that extent. But whatever the case may be, they were submitting now to the Jewish way of law, the way of thinking, the, the worship. It would mean setting aside their false gods and worshiping the true God. Why? Because they could see God has worked wonders for the Jews. Now, All of these things that God has done for these Jews, people of the world took notice of that. They saw that the Jews were going to be executed by Haman. And the Jews prayed and fasted. And now it turned around. And now Haman's dead. And now Mordecai's in charge. And Mordecai's written this new law that has reversed the old law and given the Jews the permission to protect themselves and to kill those that try to kill them. And so all this has turned around. People say, amazing. That just doesn't happen here in Persia. There's something about this that's absolutely amazing. Their God is someone I want to know. And you know, that ought to be the way it is in our lives. Oh, that our neighbors would see us and say, I don't understand that person, 
they're so different than everybody else. I, I really want to be like they are. Wouldn't it be great if our neighbors thought that of us? They ought to. Do they? I don't know. You know, I look at my own life and I think, I don't really know what my neighbors think. Try to be a testimony to them. Try to live a right light before them. Try to treat them right. Try to be kind to them and pleasant around them. But we need to be a shining light. Remember Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you need to ask yourself, how well is your light shining before those around you? How well is your light shining in your neighborhood? Do people see Christ in you? Can they see a difference in the way you live and act? Or do they hear the same words come out of your mouth that they say? Or do you, you laugh at the same stories that they laugh at? Or you watch the same things they watch? Or you do the same things they do? If they just say, well, they're no different than we are. I don't think there's anything in there. Yeah, they do go to church on Sunday, but lots of people do that. So I guess they're just no different than any of the rest of those hypocrites. No, they need to see a difference in us. So let your light shine. Let people see Jesus in you. And there can be joy. Just like there was here in, in all of the, the realm of the Persians, there was joy and gladness because they could see that God had been at work and so much so that many of... You know, it's interesting. He didn't say a few. He said many of the people of the land became Jews. Many of them did. They said, we want to become a Jew because of look what God, the God of the Jews did for them. Amazing. I wish I could say that there's been people that have come up to me and said, Scott, I've just seen something's weird about you. You're different, and I want what you got. Would you tell me what you got so I can get that? Nobody's ever done that before. That'd be awesome if they did. Wouldn't it be great if people just came up to us regularly and said, tell me what you got. I need what you have. That'd be great if they did. Now, is it because we're not shining like we should? Maybe. But I don't know, people have hard hearts. But this is an amazing statement there. That is no small thing to have many of the people of the land say, we want to become a Jew because those Jews got some answers that we don't have. We need to let our light shine. So as we wrap up this chapter and we think about this, the verse that I've alluded to but never quoted yet is from Romans 8 and verse 28. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Truly God worked all things together for good for the Jews at that time. He really did. And you know, if you are a true Christian and you love the Lord, you can be confident that God will work things together for good for you as well. Now, you may not always see the good side of it. Sometimes we can't see Everything from God's perspective. But God does not promise that we'll never face hardships. And the rest of the chapter of Romans 8 makes that very clear. You know, he's got this verse here kind of in the, the middle portion of the chapter. And you read on down through the chapter. And you get down to verse number 35. I want to read from 35 to the end. You think about what he says here. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse number 35. He had just said... All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, persecution, or famine, 
or nakedness, or peril, or sword. None of those sound like very happy, joyful, good things. Then he goes on, he says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying? He said, God will work things out together for good. You may still go through the troubles and trials and hardships and persecution and and all those hard things, but God's got a plan, and he's going to work it all because God loves you. And even though we may look at it and say, that doesn't look very loving to me, God says, listen, I I got it all in control. It's working out the way I want it because I love you. And I'm going to work it all out. And those hardships we're going through, those trials you're going through, God says, I will work it out. Those difficulties, you say, I just know why would God allow this? This is so drastically bad. My, this person I love died, or they've got, they're sick, or, or I've got this problem, or I'm going to lose my house, or, or my, I just smashed my car. Why would God allow that? How can all that work together for good? And God says, I see the whole picture. You only see a little bit of it. And you look at the whole picture. I still love you. It's going to work. It'll be fine. I've got it in control. We need to trust God. Oh, how we need to just look back to our God and say, God, help us to trust you even when we don't understand. God doesn't make any mistakes. And we saw that in the life of Esther, and we can see it in the scriptures, and we can see it in our own lives, and we'll look at it. So I encourage you today to focus on these things and remember that we may face hardships, but God's love His presence and His comfort are there to work all things together for good to them that love Him. God will take care of you. God will take care of you.